Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest in Mr. Derek Vickers with the Victory Real Estate Group. Before we dive in, I want to ask you a real quick favor. Would you mind please taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars? This helps us get more listeners, and it means the absolute world to me. So thanks for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Derek started his mobile home park investing journey with his first purchase in September of 2020, after 10 years in the insurance business as a sales manager. He currently owns and operates 2,000 lots across 38 different mobile home parks throughout the Southeast United States, 23 of those mobile home parks being in the beautiful state of Florida. Victory Real Estate Group specializes in turning around neglected mobile home parks by increasing occupancy, converting park-owned homes to tenant-owned, and reducing operating expenses. With a busy schedule, Derek enjoys spending time with his wife and daughter and has another baby on the way. Derek, we're excited to welcome you to the show. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to be on the show, honored to be on the show, and uh, excited to get this rolling. And hopefully I can drop some nuggets and, and help some people out in their MHP journey. I love it, man. And congratulations on the baby news. That is fantastic for you and your wife. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And so we're working. My wife wants, you know, four or five. So we still have to, a ways to go. But <laughs> the second one will obviously bring some uh, additional fun. You know, my wife always says the hardest jump, because we have three, the hardest jump was from zero to one. So you're ahead of the game, brother. Ahead of the game. Good. <laughs> well, maybe you can start out by telling our listeners a little about your story and how you got into manufactured housing. Yeah, so I, you know, it's interesting because people always have a little strange journey how they end up in this little niche investment world of mobile home parks. And so mine is pre pretty unique in that, uh, as Andrew mentioned, I was in the insurance business for 10 years and I did really well in that. You know, I started out, it was really tough, but you know, cold calling, cold calling businesses, you know, it was a difficult grow to where I got. And I was doing well, I was making good money in that business. And I'd been studying different guys online and I knew the end goal was always to get into some sort of investment real estate. And so we sold insurance to businesses. And 2020, March of 2020, <laughs> businesses shut down. Yeah. So we couldn't sell insurance to businesses. We were doing it, but it was so slow. And I'm like, okay, that was the, the push and the boost I got to like, okay, I got to get this real estate thing going. And so I started looking at multifamily apartment deals. And, you know, I didn't want to buy a duplex. I didn't want to buy a quadplex. I wanted to go a little bit bigger and get some more scale. And so, you know, it just didn't work because the barrier to entry to multifamily is, is huge. I mean, then, mm. you know, it's like $250,000, $300,000 a door. And so I had a friend that was in the mobile home park business and he was like, Hey, you know, you should look at mobile home parks. So I started listening to podcasts. This podcast actually in included in that. And I think Andrew, you told me that's when you started the podcast in 2020 there. So I started listening to all these podcasts and then I was sold after that. I'm like, okay, wow. Like this, I love this business model. 
And so what I did, I actually went online. And I'm like, okay, what do I need to do to start, you know, at least advancing the ball here? And so I found a list online of all of the mobile home parks in Florida, like miraculously, like it was so easy. Like, I don't even know how I did. I just typed them like, okay, here's a list of all the parks. And so I started calling owners. I'm like, okay, I'm going to make a fool out of myself here. I don't know that much about the asset class yet. I'm learning, but still, I don't know how to have that conversation with, with an owner about the intricacies of operations, but I had had lots of experience in cold calling businesses. And actually, this was really easy for me to pick up the phone because I used to have to call people and go see them in person to try and sell them something. So this was a dream come true because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm calling someone and offering to buy from them. Like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be easy. So I had no like call reluctance. And so I started calling and I literally drove probably you know, every single mobile home park, just about between Hillsborough County, Orange County, up to Ocala, around the central Florida area. I literally drove, maybe not all of them, but I drove like a, a good majority of them. And I was talking to owners. I would, you know, put in offers on stuff. Didn't know how I was going to get the deal done. Uh, got offers rejected, you know, got hung up on, you know, told, got told to screw off because your offer sucked and, and all that. And so uh, my buddy that was in the business actually introduced me to a capital partner that he had that actually lived, you know, right down the road from me in Orlando. And so I went and met him and told him what I was doing. And he was like, oh, OK, cool. So I started sending him deals that I was finding because I was finding a bunch of deals and he would kind of, you know, he had a lot of experience in like the high financial world. So he was showing me, hey, look at this, look at this. OK, it's a good deal. That would be good for your first deal or, or it wouldn't. So we started to create a relationship there. And I know this is maybe getting a little long winded, but, and so basically I got a call from him one day and he's like, Hey, I had a deal under contract. My partner backed out. We're closing in a week. Do you want in? And I was like, Hmm, I'll call you back. Uh, I said, I'll call you back tomorrow. And then I ended up calling I got off the phone and I'm thinking I'm going through my head. I'm like, Dude, just get call him back now. So I called him back like 10 minutes later and I'm like, I'm in. And I got into that deal. I wanted to learn the business. I wanted to learn the operations. So I was like, okay, I'll do all the heavy lifting on this deal. And so basically I got in that deal with no money. So people that say, you know, if your excuse is you don't have any money, you don't have to have any money. Mm -hmm. Okay, by the way. But I got in that deal, did all the heavy lifting and got 20% of the entire deal for doing all of that heavy lifting. And so that's how I got into the business. And then it just kind of started going crazy after that. We started, you know, I, I kept finding these, like we never meant to get to the size that we're at today. Well, I take that back. So like when I do something, it's always like, you know, I can't halfway something. I have to sort of go all in. So there was some intention there to get big, but not really at the beginning, but we just kept finding these great deals and like you couldn't pass on them. So, so it was like, then it started to get crazy and we acquired more. And, but that's the gist of, of how I got into the business. Wow. That is an awesome story. I have some notes here. So it seems like you, your strength initially was the sales side of things, but then you came in, you know, helping out with the heavy lifting part of it, right? The value add, the implementation of the, the management company, I assume, 
So how do you how do you balance those two when you're growing so fast? I mean, your first park was September of 2020. And I mean, we're recording this in November 2022. And I think I in your intro, there was how many parks? 38? 38. Yes, yes. Wow. So yeah, how do you balance the two and, and maybe tell us about some of your struggles from you know, the acquisitions business versus the property management business versus the construction management business? Because that's something that we've struggled with in-house. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people don't talk about that. The construction management aspect of it on these value add properties, because I didn't know anything about project management, construction management. I had no idea when I, when we were getting these turnaround properties that a lot of that was going to be involved. And I struggled with that because contractors, you know, like, you know, they are what they are. I mean, they're, they're difficult to find one that you can trust. It's difficult to find one that you can rely on regularly. And I've had experience where a lot of them I can rely on for a little bit and then not. But, you know, balancing that was difficult because I was still in the insurance business full time until August of 21, until it just got, you know, ridiculous oh, wow. that, it, that it couldn't work. But how do you balance it, you know? You don't really, you just kind of, you got to go and get it done. Like I was working in my office and this is kind of funny. So I like in the insurance business, I was like, I would wear a suit, a tie, and I would even put on a vest sometimes (laughs) during the day. Right. So I was all fancied up. And then, so this first property we bought was probably 10 or 15 minutes from my insurance office. So I would Mm. change down into like a t-shirt and some comfortable shorts and then go to the park from five to like eight doing what we have to do. And by the way, that, that property was an utter disaster. I was chasing homeless people, drug Mm. addicts out of the vacant park owned homes every single day Mm. for two months, for two months. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And so, yeah, it was, you know, it was difficult to balance all that. I would go home after that and I'd be up doing stuff till, you know, three o'clock in the morning. And I would get up at, you know, five o'clock in the morning and go to the gym and just, you know, figure out how to get it all done. And it wasn't easy, but you just, you know, you figure it out, you know? Yeah. And, and then tell us about some of the challenges, right? So COVID hit March, 2020, you know, your first park, you know, was closing in September, Tell us about some of the challenges you went through there to get that first deal done. Well, the first deal, you know, when I mentioned that before, there was no like, so there was no due diligence because the property was closing in seven days. And that's when I just got told about the property that we were closing. And so like, it was just kind of, you know, there wasn't really that much struggle leading up to it because it was so sudden that I didn't even have time to think about it. And, you know, we get on site and, you know, half the park septic, half the park city water and city sewer that we didn't know. And, mm. you know, all kinds of other fun coffins that we found there. You must have had some trust in that uh, that that friend of yours to, to dive in, you know, that quick without the due diligence. That's cool. I know before we started recording, you know, you you actually live like 15 minutes from from where I live in Oviedo. So yep. we're both, uh, you know, Central Florida boys. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So I know you said you listened to some podcasts, but was there anything else, you know, that you did to self-educate on mobile home parks before kind of diving in to cold calling? Yeah. So I did the, uh, the Frank and Dave boot camp, and it was all virtual mm. then. So, so I did that. I listened to other commercial real estate podcasts and I actually looked up 
commercial real estate nomenclature and like defined all those terms and like banking terms and things. So I would sort of understand that. But I think a combination of that, the podcasts, actually going out and talking to owners and asking them questions about operations, actually going there and asking, hey, you know, how does this work? And how does this work? And how does that work? You know, mom and pop, you know, they've got their own issues. But yeah. I was at least able to, to learn from some of these guys, like how, you know, parks operated. And then the boot camp was great. And then the interesting thing like, about that first park, it literally violated everything in the buy box on <laughs> the boot camp. You know, it's half city water and, you know, half septic. It was all park owned homes, you know, terrible dilapidated park owned homes. Oh, geez. Yeah, it was it was probably like so that first park was probably like, you know, I learned on level 10, <laughs> level one. So there was no gradient. It was just all in. Yeah, I was telling somebody yesterday that if my first park, I got like the best manager, she was she still manages the park to this day. She's just a rock star. If if that first park, you know, didn't go as well as it did. I might have tapped the brakes a little bit. I'm, I'm just naturally conservative. So I would have been like, okay, like I, I can't take on too much too fast. But, you know, you had the opposite. You were just thrown right into the, you know, right into the mess and, and dig your way out. So that's, yeah. uh, that's really interesting. Let me ask you this. What do you think is the toughest hurdle to overcome in mobile home park investing? Well, I, I mean, I think getting that first deal done is definitely a hurdle for some people. I know when I was just, you know, digging around before I got that opportunity, like it was just, there's a lot of stuff that's going through your head. You're doubting, you know, are you overanalyzing and, and this and that. So I think that's, uh, you know, a hurdle. And then also, I, I think like me personally, I underestimated like the amount of work that's involved in some of these turnaround mm. projects and underestimating the amount of time and expenses it takes to do that because you know like these value add properties you can't like if you're flipping park owned homes to tenant owned homes and like you can't hire a manager for 500 bucks a month and free lot rent that's at mm -hmm. least a 40 hour a week job yeah and so the level of work you're going to get by doing that is is very low so i think people just sort of underestimate kind of the, you know, the work involved and, and the things that are actually involved in this, because, you know, it, it's just, the operations can be tough. And I understand that, that. Yeah, no, I think that a lot of new operators, including myself, do that, because you're exactly right. It is a ton of work. And, you know, I think through some of the boot camps and things like that, I mean, Frank, Frank pretty much tells it how it is. But you, you kind of get this impression like, okay, the tenants will own their homes and it's, it's this passive deal. They're just paying lot rent. You know, you're not supposed to have the repairs and maintenance. I know with your model where you're, you're converting park-owned homes to tenant-owned homes, there's a lot more involved. But, you know, I, I think you kind of get sold on this. Hey, this is going to be, you know, passive, you know, very hands-off. And it's not. It's affordable housing. You need to be hands-on because things can get way out of whack. And I think one thing that we've done to like really stay on that is we visit all of our properties at least once a quarter. I don't know if you guys, I mean, you're, you're, you're Florida based, so you probably get to them, you know, you know, more often than that. But if we didn't go to these, you know, the managers are notorious for doing the drive-through videos and skipping, you know, really quickly, they'll go by lot 13, which has the refrigerator in the, in the front yard. And there's a, you know, dryer in the back, you know, by the, by the, the skirting. 
you know, we've seen it all. So yeah, that's, that's been really valuable, but yeah, I, I agree with you. There's, there's a ton of work involved. And then you said, you know, your first deal, getting into your first deal. And one thing resonated with me, my mentor, Ryan Smith with Elevation Capital, you know, he told me about his first mobile home park, which was in, I believe it was in uh, Tennessee. And he was telling me like, he, he literally got sick before the closing. Like he literally like, you know, got sick because he was just so nervous. And now he has 20,000 plus units, you know? So I think that first deal, you know, that your nerves are running and, and you, you know, people are telling you, what are you doing? I remember my dad, I was like, dad, I'm going to buy a trailer park. And he was like, he was like, Andrew, I think you're making a huge mistake. You know, all of your savings, you're going to lose all of it. And I was like, no, I think, you know, this is a good business. And he's like, Andrew, just, I don't think you, you, you know what you're doing, you, you know, but it turned out to work out, you know, he, he had never, you know, heard of this as like an investment option. So very cool. That's very great, cool. man. I remember just, I remember that before I closed the first deal too. It was like, I was in the office and I'm <laughs> like, okay, I got to get these, you know, these welcome letters out. And I was like super nervous to go there and hand those out and knock on the doors at, at that property. And that property was a yucky, nasty property. So it was even yeah. uh, more exciting, but I, I totally, you know. And the that. same thing, like, like you were saying, like it's all the little things that you're like, oh, how hard could it be? Or just need to prepare an intro letter and get it out to the tenants. But my, the way my mind works is like, okay, what, what liability is this intro like? is this worded right? Do I, you know, do I need to have an attorney review this to make sure I'm not saying something I shouldn't, or I'm, you know, talking indefinites instead of, you know, uh, you know, otherwise. So yeah, I, I think it's, there's a lot of nerves running uh, at the same time. So that's, uh, I remember the first one. Yeah, it's definitely a, you know, a hard, a hard one. Let me ask you this. What does your mobile home park investing strategy look like today? And, you know, has that changed from when you bought that first park and you know why is it the way it is now? Yeah, and so we're we're still kind of in the process of figuring that out because with interest rates, it's just made the market really, really weird. In that, you know, we can buy some of these value add properties, these all park owned homes, and hope to convert them over to tenant owned homes. But then we have to pay the seller for what we're going to do, mm. and you know, it just doesn't make sense after knowing all the work that goes into it. And I was talking to one of my business partners a few weeks ago about this. And he asked me the same question, like, it, you know, would you buy those same properties again? And I said, yes, at the price that we got them at, at that point in time. But if we've got to pay up for those, I'm not going to do it because it's just, it's just a lot of work and the upside wouldn't be there. We actually purchased the park. I think I was telling you about it's right there in a suburb right outside of Orlando back in May of this year. We paid for it, you know, probably paid too much for it, but it was all tenant owned homes. The <laughs> mom and pop owner took fantastic care of the property. And like, you don't even have to be there. Like it's, it's very stable. And so I like that cash flows less. Well, you know, we'll make more money over time. We'll create more value over time. But, um, you know, it's, it's a balance. And so I guess I, yeah. I don't really have a definitive answer to that question right now. But if we can still get these value add parks at a reasonable price, then, you know, we'll, we'll move on them. But if not, you know, I just don't think the, the effort there, the effort required is, is worth the upside if you're paying for some of that upside up front. Yeah, that's a really good insight there. I think that's it's it's like when you first get in, you don't know what you don't know, right? 
and you're just like, hey, and you can work through it, right? And it's been a great past, you know, seven years. So it was easy to kind of ride the cap rate compression and to, you know, create a lot of value. You know, it's not that it's not hard work, but to create a lot of value really fast, you know, yeah. and, and we, we were beneficiaries of that. Um, but now it's like, okay, let's step back and see what works the best, right? Yeah. The, you know, buying fewer park-owned homes is a huge part of that, right? When, when tenants own their homes, it, it's been proven in our portfolio, literally less than 5% of the, the tenant-owned homes move out and, and, and leave per year. So the park-owned homes have a much higher turnover rate. I, I posted something on LinkedIn, uh, it was yesterday or the day before, and another operator commented, he said, you know, when the economy gets rough, it's the park-owned homes that you need to worry about because there's higher chances of them turning over, right? And, you know, their higher monthly payment, you know, they'll just abandon the homes. You know, you're one uh, water leak away from them just walking out and leaving yeah. behind, you know, all they've, they've paid for that home and so forth. So I would love to get your feedback on that on like how you guys convert these parks from park-owned homes to tenant-owned homes because I, I love the model. But, you know, is it like through a lease option type of program and or do you just say, hey, we're going to give you the home and your lot rent's just going to, you know, go down or, or what does that look like? Yeah, so it's been a variation of all that. We give everybody the opportunity to purchase their, their home. They have to pass the background check mm-hmm. because mom and pop probably never did a background check. So we have to make sure because we're going to be moving families into these parks. We want to make sure that we don't have any criminals, any sex offenders in there. We have to make sure of that, right? A lot of the properties that we bought, there was a lot of vacant park-owned homes. So we would just sell those as a you know handyman special mm. for five hundred bucks. So we never underwrote like the price we would sell the homes for mm-hmm. in our deals, and so we didn't really care what we sold them for because we wanted a good family there or a good individual there that was going to pay lot rent every month and not cause any trouble. And so we would do it various ways. And sometimes if people had a nicer house, we would do like a rent to own or a lease option with them. Um, or we would sell for 500 a thousand bucks. But, you know, in some of the markets that, that we're in, um, you know, like the Tampa and Orlando markets, I mean, it's so hot. These things are, are easy, easy to, to sell. sell. And even yeah. like, you know, what we learned on that first property we bought because 10, so it was 22 lots. Um, and I think 10 or 12 of those were vacant park owned homes and they were a disaster, but we were able to sell those for cheap and people came in and fixed them up. We gave them free lot rent until they had the home fixed. And so, um, it was a great deal for, for them. And, you know, I was looking at our numbers and it was something crazy, like, you know, in the last year, we brought back online, like, I don't know, something like, you know, 400 homes of affordable housing in our wow. that weren't available, that families did not have before that. And I think that's, that's the, that's the cool thing about our business is that you get to provide that to people that, you know, I mean, they may never get the chance to own like a home, but this like, people are, we, we've had people in our parks, buy homes and then they're reselling them for double the value. Yeah. <laughs> like they're making That's money awesome. off of them. Like That's we had great. a guy who bought a house. I can't remember how much he paid for it, but he put maybe 10 or 15 grand in it and then he sells it for 60 grand. Like That's awesome. You know, yeah. so it's pretty cool. That's really good. You know, so you mentioned one thing, you know, that park had 22 lots. You know, another thing is, you know, the size of the parks, right? That's one thing that I've learned at least is that you know, we have a new criteria. We don't 
we don't touch anything under 50 lots. And, you know, I was, I would just love to get your opinion on that. Are you guys, you know, buying these smaller parks? Do you have a better way to manage them? Or, you know, are you able to, to still hit the industry standard of a 35% expense ratio on those smaller parks? And what does that, what does that look like? Cause I know that we are trying to buy, you know, more of the scale, like you talked about earlier. Yeah, we, we would rather buy scale now because it doesn't make sense to buy a 30 lot park unless it's right next door. If we have something yeah. that right next door, it fits into the machine, it's right there, we'll, we'll take it down. But, you know, in our areas that we're at now in Florida, like we're not going to buy something in the middle of nowhere, Florida, of 30 lots because you're going to have to pay a manager. If yeah. it's a turnaround property, you, you know, I, I know all the issues that are that are going to come with that. So it doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. make sense to actually do that. And I know when you're starting, you know, you have to look at those things, but that's where we're at. We would want more scale now for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. You're, you're and sorry, what I was going to say is your your expenses, if you're operating that park, as, as you mentioned, your expense ratio is going to be higher. We can throw, you know, if we buy a 40 lot park in Tampa, we can throw, you know, just throw it in and our managers are already there. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice when you have scale somewhere. What mistakes have you made, you know, in mobile home park investing that we could learn from? Oh, well, where do I start? So uh, I, I definitely think if you're buying value add properties, and I touched on this earlier, is that, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and I would not underestimate that. And I like, you cannot hire someone and pay them the free lot rent of 500 bucks a month. It just doesn't work. You're going to get sketchy people, you know? And so you have to look out for that and really be, you know, you really have to look at who you're hiring and are they going to be able to do the job? Are they reliable? And are you paying them enough? Because that's, that's just a big thing. You need to get reliable and trustworthy people on your team. Okay. And then you also need to actually look at, you know, what those people are doing on a daily basis. So that is one due diligence, you know, make sure you're going through all of your due diligence checklists, check the utilities. If you have to spend an extra couple thousand bucks to scope the lines or have septics pumped out, do it. Okay. Do it. And always, always, always do your due diligence. You know, we had a property in Tampa that we bought. So we bought a lot of these properties that are 50, 60% vacant. So we didn't take into account the old infrastructure that was already there you know, it wasn't ready for the capacity to be 100% occupied. So we underestimated all the, it's all city water, city sewer, but sewer backups, you know, water line breaks from the old infrastructure. And so all of that is, is you know, needs to be taken into account and check septics, just check them because we have a, we have a deal now that, you know, the septic, you know, it was another disaster. It's the same septic system that it had when it was in the 50s. And we made the mistake. We were getting the park cheap enough to where we just, you know, plugged our noses, didn't really check the septics and assumed that it was fine. And now we're having to tap into city water and sewer, which is right out front. But it's still, it's like, that's a tough process to do. It's taken us about a year and we're still not done with that project yet. So I would definitely look at those couple things for, for sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. The, the due diligence piece resonated with me. You know, when we started, we used the, the due diligence handbook that you got at the MHU bootcamp, you yeah. know, and that was an awesome starting point. 
But literally from every deal that we've done, we've learned at least one thing and added it to our due diligence checklist. Sure. Like, hey, you know, we gotta, we gotta do this next time. We gotta make sure to meet with this person or talk to them about this. And now our due diligence checklist is well above 300 items now. Yeah. Where in the beginning in that, in the handbook, I think it was closer to like 50 or, or 60. Right. So right. It, it just grows as you're, you know, the longer you're in the business, you just keep adding to that. So that's a really, really important piece, especially with the infrastructure, because that can For be costly, sure. can be super costly. Yeah. What are the most important things that passive investors, you know, we're talking LPs here. What are the most important things that LPs and passive investors need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a couple of things that as an LP, I think you should really, you know, try to understand the asset class a little bit. So if you have, you know, a sponsor that's showing you a pro forma for a park and they're, you know, banking on the park running on 20% expenses, mm. like, this is probably not going to happen. You know, the park's got a yeah. wastewater treatment plant and, you know, it's a well. You and I both know it's not going to run at 20% <laughs> expenses. It's just not. No. And so I would just try to understand that a little bit so you can see if the numbers are, are making sense and what, you know, these pro formas look like. And also the operator uh, themselves, obviously, you know, like, even if they don't have experience, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a bad operator. Look at prior experience that they had in other businesses. Were they successful? And how are they as a person? What do they do in their spare time? If you can get that kind of detailed, but I would definitely look at those, those things. That's great. Those are great tips. Thank you for those. What does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes and why? Yeah, so a uh, perfect mobile home park for me would be in the, you know, one of these larger MSAs in Florida. They would be all park-owned homes, like 90s homes or above, and 100 lots or more, of course, city water, city sewer, all direct build, trash is direct build, you know, everything, right? That would be the perfect park for me. And you, you would have to get that at a relatively decent price, but that, um, that would be my perfect mobile home park. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be the, the great white Buffalo right there and get it at like a 10 cap, right? Like get it where it's a really great price. Yeah. That yeah. sounds awesome. Let me ask you this. What does the future of mobile home park investing look like and how do you see mobile home parks fitting in with the direction the economy is going with higher interest rates and, you know, possible recession? Yeah. And so I think with the, you know, what I loved about this business was the supply and demand factor. It's always going to be on our side. So I think that that bodes well for us. Mm. But, you know, I think there's going to be a slowdown in transactions here because, you know, mom and pop still think their park's worth what, you know, they were getting unsolicited LOIs for, you know, 125 a pass yeah. in Florida. And yeah. so they're like, oh, okay, I still got to get that. And so I think that's going to cause some slowdown in the market. But I think, you know, over time, we're still going to do very well. You know, the like the equity multiples that we were able to get in a short amount of time, I think that time's going to stretch out, obviously, a, a little bit. We're not going to be able to create as much value in 12 months. It may take, you know, 36 months, 24 months or, you know, 48 months, which is still great, by the way. You know, it's it's still good. But, um, 
you know, I love this business. And I think, you know, as I mentioned before, with the supply and demand thing being constantly on our side and there's no affordable housing, you know, multifamily people, you can't permit and build affordable housing and charge, you know, a thousand bucks a month and the deal makes sense. You know, it's difficult to, to do that. Yeah. Um, and so I think there, there's a bright future for us, for sure. I love that. Yeah. I uh, like specifically with what's going on in the market, I think there was a, a graph floating around on, uh, on Twitter. And, you know, credit card debt is like exponentially higher than it, than it was last year, the year prior, and savings rates have, have gone down a lot. So, you know, and, and who gets hit hardest, right? It's the affordable housing, it's the low income uh, people that are, are living in our, our parks. So yeah. I think we got to be aware of that. And, you know, some of these rent increases that, may have been really nice on the pro forma. Uh, I think that also needs to, you know, be readjusted. Uh, in addition to the park-owned homes and the, the, you know, the lease option type of deals that were done, you know, we got to really work with those people, kind of like we did during COVID, you know, yeah. where, hey, you know, we need to do a payment plan or something like that. You had a setback, you had a car, you know, go down or something. Um, so that those are some of the stuff we're looking at. But I do, I do agree with you. I think, you know, the long-term, you know, buy and hold model where you're going to hold these things, you know, you know, forever, you know, this is just going to be a temporary little blip where you yeah. know, you're going to be able to really build a lot of value holding these things long-term. For sure. um, well, thank you so much, Derek, for all of these golden nuggets. If any of our listeners would like to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to do so? Yeah. So just uh, shoot, shoot me an email. It's uh, Derek Vickers 885 at gmail.com. That's D-E-R-E-K Vickers 885 at gmail.com. And I also post on, you know, I'm on Instagram, TikTok. I'm posting videos around our properties <laughs> and about crazy things that you see in the operations when I'm out there. And so you can follow me on those. It's Derek Vickers 885 uh, as well. And then on uh, Facebook too. I'm on Facebook. Awesome. Well, thank you, Derek, for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Andrew. That's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over 100 five-star reviews by the end of 2021, and it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.